Welcome to the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me today is Joe Healy. And Joe, it is October 1st uh, as we as we get rolling on this podcast. And I don't know, are you are you into the pumpkin stuff? Are you into the Halloween stuff? How, how are you embracing fall this fall? Well, I'm looking forward to it because we've had kind of here in the Midwest a, a rash of summer weather this past week. I think kind of the same thing where you guys are. I think I saw the other day where it was like mid 90s on Sunday down in, in your area. But I mean, we've had a, a string of 90 degree days here um, in the Midwest. And so as much as I love warm weather, and I do, um, I'm kind of looking forward to some chillier temperatures. Now, with that said, I'm not a big, um, I'm not a big fall, I'm not a big Halloween guy. I'm not a big decorate the house in pumpkins. And, and I'm not against it. I mean, you know, I'm certainly not anti that. It's just not my, <laughs> my thing. I typically think of the fall as pre Christmas season. Uh, because I am a big Christmas guy. Once Halloween passes, the tree is usually going up. Uh, within like a week or so of Halloween going <laughs> going uh, going away, it's it's Christmas trees going up. And a lot of that to me is like, look, like putting a Christmas tree up is is a decent amount of work, right? I mean, even if you're doing a bare minimum Charlie Brown looking Christmas tree, like you're putting some work into this. And if you're going to put work into it, like why would you choose to have it up for less time? Because you're just going to have to take it down. So, like, even if you're not a big Christmas guy, I would make the argument you should leave it up for longer just because, like, I don't know, if you're going to put the effort into putting it up, like, enjoy it. Give it some time. That's what I've always felt. So, fall is pre-Christmas for me. i put it that way. Okay. I uh, I was driving into work today, and I saw a pumpkin patch has popped up in an empty lot uh, on the way in that, you know, they sell fireworks there and they'll probably sell Christmas trees there later. And so that was, that was kind of my indication that, that fall is, is fully upon us. Also indica- indi- indicative, there it is, of that is that a lot of programs are starting to play their, uh, their scrimmages against outside competition. You know, Joe, I know you were able to, to be out, I think the last two weekends. Right. Um, and you know, around here, um, they really got started this this weekend into this week, and you know, it, so around the country, teams are starting to to take advantage of of that NCAA rule where that allows them to play uh, two two games against outside competition, and um, you know, so sometimes you see some some intriguing stuff in that. It, fall ball is always hard to tell, um, you know who really is is what really is for real there are a lot of guys that uh are fall stars that wind up not doing it in the spring or guys that that do it in the spring that don't look great in the fall and of course plenty of players are shut down and but it is uh it's it's an important time uh it's important time for development and you know around the country uh teams are really starting to get out there and get after it and and work on getting better ahead of the 2020 season I think one of the things, uh, oh, sorry to cut in. I was going to say, I'm with you and that sometimes it's hard to know what's real in the fall. But one thing that I always look for in the fall that I think you can take away a little bit, and and every coach approaches the fall a little bit differently. So you can't just kind of uh, take this as a blanket statement. But I think sometimes in the fall, you can, especially in these scrimmages, you can kind of see if if things break right what the how the coach wants to set things up a lot of times that first lineup that you see kind of in the fall in that outside competition is maybe kind of in his mind's eye what the head coach wants it to look like come february 2020 not all the time i'm not suggesting that's always the case but you can kind of see by how they set up the pitching and how they set the lineup oftentimes i i think you can kind of see what they would like it to look like in a perfect world now whether it works out that way 
uh, to your point, is a whole other story. But but sometimes I think you can read a little bit into kind of how they set things up and those scrimmages against outside competition. Well, today on the podcast, we're going to talk to a coach who has to think about that sort of thing as this weekend he is getting ready to take his team up to Oregon to play Oregon and Oregon State. I'm talking about Sacramento State coach Reggie Christensen. And Sacramento State is a very interesting program. Kind of this, this probably has flown under the radar for, for a lot of college baseball fans. They are the only team in the state of California to win at least 30 games a year for the last eight seasons. You know, we're not talking about UCLA, we're not talking about Stanford or Fullerton or any of these great programs out there, you know, great historical powers. It's Sacramento State that has been one of the most consistent teams on the West Coast and especially in the state of California. They're coming off of uh, a regional appearance last year, and uh, they got there in a pretty spectacular way, winning the WAC tournament, coming out of the loser's bracket after losing the opening game. So they had to win six straight elimination games, and by a fun little quirk, they uh, they eliminated every other team in the tournament en route to winning it. So we're gonna we're gonna talk to Reggie here coming up in a second, but before we get to that, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about head of the class which is Baseball America's new college baseball book coming out this fall. Uh, If you've been listening to the Baseball America College podcast, uh, you've heard me talk about it before, uh, but I want to just mention it again. We are uh, getting close to to finishing work on on this book, and what it does is it's it's a, a look at the last 40 years of college baseball, the best programs, the best players, you know, the, the national champions that you want to remember, just all of the big moments of the last 40 years kind of encapsulated in this book. You know, and, and I really think that college baseball fans are going to enjoy taking this trip down memory lane, remembering the Steven Strasburg uh, experience at San Diego State, you know, remembering some of these national championships that starts with uh, Arizona State's titles in the in the 80s and uh, you know, seeing uh, how Cal State Fullerton, you know, continues its rise, and then of course the the way LSU took over the the sport in the '90s, and we we dive into all of that in this book, which is available for pre order now at store.baseballamerica.com. Uh, so you can go and check that out there, pre order it if you're interested. And again, you're listening to a college baseball podcast. I feel like you're going to enjoy a book that is a college baseball book focused on the last 40 years of the sport. Joe, when you think about the last 40 years of college baseball, kind of what what do you think about? I know you you really grew up with uh, with the sport in, in Houston and the 03 Rice team, but kind of what what do you, what stands out to you um, when you think over the, the last four decades of college baseball? I think the big thing and when I when I think back on that span of time I wasn't around for what was happening 40 years ago, but I think about how much the game has changed in terms of the level of attention it's receiving, and I think you can kind of see that in uh, the quality of play and the types of players that um, that college baseball is getting. That's not to say there weren't great players 40 years ago playing college baseball. I mean, uh, you know, for goodness sakes, you know, Dave Winfield played college baseball, but you know, I think now you you look at a player like a Steven Strasburg or a Buster Posey, and you wonder if. 25, 30, 35 years ago, if 
that level of player would be making it to college. And maybe they would in some cases. Obviously, they did. Uh, but those were those were guys who were you know really projectable. Uh, certainly, they were not unknown quantities uh, to, to differing degrees. But going into college, so you know, I, I just think about how there's there was a certain subset of players that that we get to see now in college baseball that we might not have gotten to see in years past. I think it's really exciting, and I, I'm curious to see if if we do this book 40 years from now, you know what that what that looks like. You know, at that point, you know, we probably won't be involved because we'll be you know in our <laughs> 70s and, and what have you. But it would be interesting to see 40 years from now if, if we're talking about this same kind of thing. And it, it you know, maybe it would seem kind of crazy that that more players didn't go to college base, you know, play college baseball in the, in the 2010s. So. Um, it's interesting to get that kind of perspective, and I'm looking forward to getting into the book and, and kind of first learning about some of those the, the players and, and the stories that that I wasn't around for, but also kind of reliving, you know, like I said on the podcast last time around, reliving some some guys and stories that maybe I'd forgotten a little bit or, or didn't give their their just due. So I'm I'm excited to get into it as well. Yeah, I thought one thing that was interesting. The book is kind of organized chronologically, and, and then we take them by decades and um, just seeing the way that each decade unfolds, the, the kind of overarching themes of the decades, just seeing which programs are rising and falling and which parts of the country are rising and falling. It's, uh, I, I think that was, uh, was very interesting to me, just tracking some of the overall trends of the sport. So if you're interested in that kind of stuff, just the more macro level stuff that's in there, if you're interested in the micro level, who won, who was good in, in one specific year or one, one little era, that it's all there for you. The book, again, is called Head of the Class, and you can pre-order it at store.baseballamerica.com. Now, like I mentioned, we will be joined on the podcast here by Sacramento State Reggie Christensen. And so, Joe, let's just jump right into that interview. Today on the Baseball America College podcast, we're joined by Sacramento State coach Reggie Christensen. Reggie, you're uh, you're coming off of a, a very impressive season. We're already into it's now the end of September, start of October. Just uh, ha- how much time have you had to to take a beat and, and think about last season, or did you just have to move move right through the summer so quickly that you couldn't even uh, you know stop to to think about that? Uh, you know, it was really a whirlwind of a summer for, for me personally and for our program. You know, obviously, uh, we had a great run to the WAC tournament and onto the, uh, the NCAA tournament in, in uh, the Palo Alto. Uh, it was really a magical two weeks for our players. And then summer hit us, and, uh, you know, I lost two assistant coaches shortly thereafter. Jake Angier took the pitching job at Oregon, certainly excited for him and his family. And then Tim Wheeler, uh, our other assistant coach, who was, you know, first-round in 2009 at Sac State, who I coached, decided to get into, go into another profession and go to, to go to work for his parents, so uh, their family business. So it was a whirlwind, and I don't know if I really got a chance to, uh, to enjoy it as much as I would have wanted to, just simply based on how the recruiting process is so sped up now and losing two assistant coaches. And then uh, on top of that, we had planned to go to uh, play in a tournament, a foreign tour tournament at University of British Columbia in August, so it was really jam-packed. Uh, went by really fast, but I've had a chance to really, you know, touch base with a couple of the players that were part of that run last year. Like I saw Austin Roberts came out today. He was drafted eighth round by the Pirates, and we were able to talk about that, that special two weeks and that special season that we're in. So uh, I'm sure I'll reflect on a little bit more as time goes on, but it certainly was a lot of fun. Yeah, you mentioned those uh, very special two weeks of the postseason. They start at the WAC tournament where you guys lost the first game. 
uh, but then won six straight elimination games to win the tournament and get back to regionals. Uh, I mean, just what was your strategy for managing those games during that run in the WAC tournament, just keeping everyone's belief up that they could, you know, come out of the loser's bracket and, and go on to, to win the thing? Yeah, belief is the word that we used all year, to be honest, and, you know, believe in each other. And those guys have built up uh, a high, high level of belief in one another. We've been in that situation before. Previous year, we've gone through the loser's bracket and had to win five in a row, and we fell short when we lost to New Mexico State on this Monday in the fifth game. Um, so they've, they've been there before, and they've, they've done that. And, you know, kind of a, before the tournament even started, there's a T-shirt company here in Sacramento that was selling this T-shirt that said Sacramento versus everybody. So when our guys got on the plane to go down to Mesa, they had that shirt on, and, uh, you know, it kind of came as prophetic as it may sound. We eliminated every team in that tournament. So it uh, certainly was an emotional and uh, very fun week of baseball for our guys. You alluded to it a little bit in an earlier answer, but uh, you know, you guys had a, a busy fall already, or I guess late summer, uh, going up to Canada and playing some names there against some international competition. I'm curious if you'd give us a little bit of backstory on how that came to be and then, and then what you were looking to accomplish with that and, and what you learned coming out of it. Yeah, so uh, I've become good friends with the baseball coach at UBC, Chris Pritchett. We recruit Canada uh, quite heavily. We have nine Canadians on our roster right now. And I was just looking for an opportunity to get up there and play against the University of British Columbia in August. So I know the NCAA allows that exception to play once every four years on foreign turf. And it would provide us an opportunity for our current players on our roster that are from Canada a chance to go home and play in front of family and friends. And it would also allow us an opportunity to start our fall early. You know, we had our first team practice August 1st, really. And then so I called up there because I had noticed that they'd gone to Japan the previous summer. So they had done something like that in August already. So I called up and, and they said the two teams, Keio University and Tokyo University, were coming back to play them uh, in British Columbia. And they loved to have us. And we made it into a tournament format. And it was an awesome week. You know, I had a chance to, you know, play five games. But just the interaction that the players had with the other teams and getting a chance to understand the, the Japanese culture and the, and the baseball part of it, I think the, the way those guys practice and how fundamentally sound they are was something we really enjoyed getting a chance to, to witness firsthand. So it was a great opportunity, both educationally, on uh, the baseball side, you know, our, our team's built a stronger bond because of that time spent before school even started. Uh, certainly gave us a leg up on, on getting, you know, the 10 practices prior to it and the five games and kind of rolled right back into team practice when we started school. Yeah, I was just kind of curious about the logistics of that. Like, so you brought everyone back uh, on August 1, I guess you said, to, to start the practice. And was it different having to, uh, did, did you manage guys' summer placements differently because of this? Or, or just kind of how, uh, you know, to, to be able to play games in, in August and then, you know, still have, have them available in the fall? I mean, just did, did you have to do stuff differently to, to make that happen? Yeah, a little bit different. We, you know, we placed uh, three or four pitchers uh, and made sure that their innings were kept down. So they would just roll right into the, experience in that tournament and we also had two or three freshmen that were out and their canadian kids were actually part of their season runs all the way into the end of july so they were already ready to go and then it started back you know like a guy parker brahm scott randall some of the stone Turvey, brady rodriguez those guys started their throwing program because they were shut down for the summer a little bit earlier than normal but we managed their innings and their workload while we were up there so uh, yeah it was a concern 
uh, specifically on the pitching side and how we're going to manage that, but it ended up uh, working out just fine. This weekend now, you're, you're playing at Oregon and Oregon State, and uh, it's a pretty meaty fall schedule between the, the tournament we're talking about and, and now these two fall games. Just how helpful is it to play that kind of competition for you going into next spring? Yeah, you know, we went to Oregon State last fall and, and, and had a chance to play against those guys, and I thought that was a, a tremendous opportunity, specifically for our younger kids. You know, for those guys, you know, we have nine freshmen on our roster. For those guys to get an opportunity to play against Oregon State and Oregon and, and you know, have their first college baseball experience being before they actually play, uh, we open up a Santa Barbara home in February. So I think you just kind of get that, those nerves out of the way and they understand what it's supposed to look like and, uh, the, the speed of the game is the biggest thing where I think we're going to take away from it and it'll just allow them to have that experience that you can't really uh, create necessarily all the time when you're just practicing and scrimmaging against yourself. So our guys are excited to go up there. It's going to be a challenge. So I think for a lot of casual college baseball fans, they may not realize the level of consistency your program has achieved. I mean, I think that people would be surprised to find out you're the only school in California to have eight straight 30-win seasons. This is a program before you got there that hadn't been to the NCAA tournament as a member of Division One. Obviously, you've, you've gotten there now. You know, how gratifying has it been to see your, your program grow like it has? Well, it's certainly been great. You know, we're starting to receive more uh, – you know, accolades or, you know, people talk about us more in a different light. And, uh, you know, Chetty's done a great job in, in, in putting some stuff out there about our program. We're certainly very appreciative that we're, people are taking notice. And, um, so it's certainly something our guys are certainly proud of. And we just have such a really good group of kids that have felt like they wanted to continue uh, to build something here that the previous group had built. And, you know, we talk about doing something that hasn't been done before. And, um, it's just, I, I, I feel like I'm very fortunate to be a part of it. And, uh, hopefully we can continue to move on. And the goal for this next group is, you know, to make more noise in a regional. You know, we've been to two of them at Stanford in the last couple of years and felt like we walked away from that thing not, not as physical. And that's really one of the reasons we started our fall so early this year. Is, uh, last fall, I was actually taking a look at some other teams across the country and how they conduct their falls. And I just randomly sent a t- an email to Dan McDonald in Louisville because I was curious as to why they started their fall so early. And he gave me the answer I was hoping to hear. Uh, they want to get in the weight room. They want to become more physical. So that's really what, one of the reasons we started our fall so early this year. And, um, you know, you look at the, the write-up on Louisville today and what they've done since Coach McDonald's been there is, is, is uh, awesome. So uh, certainly we're a long ways away from that, but uh, one day at a time. And, and, you know, this summer you uh, you were able to sign a contract extension that's going to keep you in, uh, at Sac State for, for several more years now. And, and as you look to, to continue to build this thing uh, towards programs like Louisville and Stanford, I mean, just what are your goals now uh, as you move into, um, you know, the as, as you move forward as a program? Well, certainly, you know, the facility piece of it, um, you know, we, we had lights added a few years ago. They redid our playing surface as well. But. You know, it's an arms race, as you all know. You, you know, sometimes I chuckle. I have a hard time raising twenty-five thousand dollars to do something, and next thing you know, I look on the the website of a Power Five school, and they're building a sixty million dollars redoing their feet, their whole facility. So it's an arms race, but we understand who we are and, and our niche in college baseball and mid-major type of program. I'm just trying to be the best version of that that we possibly can be, and 
with the dream of, you know, you put together one team and you have a special run. You know, that's the one great thing about college baseball versus maybe basketball or college football. It's, we can't compete, you know, against the big boys. You know, we've, we've been able to go to Auburn and LSU and Texas A&M and Texas and last year at UCLA against highly ranked opponents and, and win, win baseball games. So um, I think the dream for us is to be able to put that together towards the end of the season and see what happens. I wanted to take a step back and ask you uh, just kind of about the conference as a whole and, and the improvement we've seen in the WAC. I mean, it seems like the level of competition across the board is, is up with New Mexico State having the success they've had. Grand Canyon is really invested now. Uh, UTRGV, uh, quick improvement for them last year. And plus you had Cal Baptist into the mix and they competed right away. I'm curious what you're seeing from a conference standpoint and if you agree with that assessment that it just seems like the level of competition is, is up. Absolutely. No, no question. You know, Andy's done a great job at Grand Canyon. Their facilities are, are, are fabulous. You know, I think Brian Green, what he did in New Mexico State in such a short period of time was was really, really good. Great coach. He did a really good job there. And, um, you know, Cal Baptist, you know, joined the league last year in, in time for a championship in their first year. You know, Gary does a good job. Uh, UTRGV, I think, on paper, coming into this season, I would say that they may have uh, the best group of players returning. So, so I would expect them to be um, someone that, that makes some noise in our conference. And, you know, it wasn't long ago that Utah Valley was in a regional, I believe, in 2016. Uh, we have a great level of respect, and Eric's a good friend, and Donnie at, at uh, Seattle's done a really good job. So yeah, I do think the conference is much better, much better place right now than it's been uh, since I've been a part of it. Along those lines, I think uh, Nick Gonzalez is going to get a lot of attention for the WAC uh, come this spring. Do you do you have any idea how to go about getting him out? Like, what, what's the what's the game plan against Nick Gonzalez? Put him on base unless someone else is hurt him. No, he's really really good. Um, you know, last year he, Austin Roberts was arguably our best guy, and you know, I'll never forget us telling a story the other day. You know, I think Austin threw a two-two breaking ball, and it's a really good breaking ball, and Nick Gonzalez hit it out. Uh, he's got real bad speed. Uh, I know Eric Campbell from USA Baseball called me last summer and asked about him. I felt like Nick could play anywhere in the country. And uh, certainly a very good baseball player. And should be one of the best best hitters in the country, not only our, our conference this year. In your program, uh, Reese Hoskins, probably the most successful pro, you know, in, in, at least in recent history, maybe ever. Kind of what's your enduring memory of his time there uh, as a Hornet? Uh, just the impact that he had on on, on my family, probably. Uh, he was such a great baseball player, but just the, the way he treated my family, my kids, and my wife, and he's just a special human being. I still talk to him quite frequently, and uh, just a really, really good person. Very humble. Uh, was you know even when he got called into the big leagues, he didn't change. He hasn't changed. Um, just the way he treated my family is the first thing that pops to mind. To be honest with you. That's uh, that's a, a very special person to be able to do that. Uh, you know, so many years, yeah. uh, so many years on to, to continue to have that kind of impact. You know, we're going to get you out of here on this one, Coach. Uh, but Joe and I, uh, at least I don't think Joe has. I certainly have not been had had the pleasure of going to Sacramento yet. But uh, you know, kind of what what do you like the most about being able to to be a part of the Sac State community? And and kind of what what are your favorite parts of uh, of being in that 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 part of the country? Well, you know, I think first off, you know, for everything's about my family first, and we live a mile from the from the campus. Um, the area around the, the campus is awesome. You know, it's you know, you're an hour and a half from Tahoe, and you're an hour and a half from the Bay Area, so it's very accessible to 
doing other things, uh, not only for our players, but for my family as well. Uh, obviously, on the baseball side, you know, the weather's awesome. Uh, you get a chance to be outside all year round. And uh, the university, the vision our pre- President Nelson has, we're one of the most diverse campuses in California. Um, and our, our new athletic director, Mark Orr, has done a really good job of giving us some resources to help us catch up. You know, there's certain some, some pieces on the facility standpoint that we're behind, but, you know, our, our ability to go into, let's say, you know, for instance, Canada and recruit some of those kids some of those kids because of the resources our guys have given us from a scholarship perspective is has been game changing for us. So um, it's a great place to go to work. Got really good people, uh, but it really comes down. We have great kids to, to get a chance to be a part of watching them chase their dream. And I'm certainly humbled and blessed to be a part of that every day. Well, it certainly should be another exciting year around the, the Sac State program. And we're going to be excited to, to see how it unfolds this spring. And we really appreciate you uh, taking the time to come on the Baseball America College podcast today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. You guys have a great week. Thanks again to Sac State coach Reggie Christensen. Joe, I know you are kind of um, the, the mid-major, I don't know, expert. That's not quite what I'm going for here. You are very enthusiast. Into- <laughs> yes, enthusiast. There we go. That's perfect. Sac State kind of, a, a, you know, this... It's a very interesting story down the stretch last season, but also, as as we touched on there, uh, one of the more consistent programs of the last decade, especially in the state of California. Just what stood out to you that that uh, Reggie was talking about? Well, in, in a program sense, what stands out to me is kind of what, what we ask him about that level of consistency, because even my level of enthusiasm for teams at, at that level of college baseball, you know, it wasn't until I think maybe you and I had an offline conversation about it last season about the time, maybe it was after they got the auto bid or what have you, but that, you know, they had broken off this string of, of 30 plus win seasons or, uh, um, or some such. And, and I, I, I was kind of taken aback by that. I don't think I really thought of it that way. Um, I, I had kind of, that had flown under my radar and if it flew under my radar, then I can only imagine <laughs> that for the average college baseball fan, it's, it's not even a, a thing that was, um, you know, on their radar at all. So in, that's impressive to me because it's not, um, like there's just a lot of things that, that work against Sacramento state, right? I mean, it's as much as sometimes not having, you know, football or a major basketball program can kind of help you maybe in terms of resources. It also hurts because, it's a school you're going to have to introduce players to. I mean, there, there's probably a certain subset of, of guys they look to recruit that aren't aware of Sacramento State or don't know that they play Division One or, uh, you know, what, it's just one thing or another. Um, and yet they continue to get quality players there that, that lead the program to be competitive year after year, not just in the WAC, but regionally, nationally, uh, and put them in position to get regional bids. And that's that's really, really impressive. So, that I mean, I think that's what stands out most to me there. And I, I think I like his approach for talking about, you know, the reasons he did the, the trip up to Canada. I think there's something to be said for, um, you know, going up there and playing. He mentioned the, the importance of recruiting players from north of the border. So I think that can only help that. Um, getting to play teams from Japan, that's just a completely different baseball culture. Anyone who's watched, um, you know, the World Baseball Classic or the Little League World Series, even when those teams from when teams from Japan play teams from the U.S., um, you can just see kind of a difference in cultures, and I think that's a really important learning experience for the players, like you mentioned. So yeah, I, I you know, I came away, um, you know, really kind of uh, interested to see where this program goes from here. I mean, he he mentioned his goals. Uh, you know, I kind of alluded to it a little bit with with my question about the WAC being improved. You know, it, it's going to be a tough needle to thread for for this program to ever be in a position to get an at large bid um, because the, the WAC is not a league that's going to produce a ton of 
high RPI wins, but I don't know, maybe one day they will. Um, I'm not talking 2020 or probably even 2023 or 24, but there is a level of competition that's increasing across the league. You've got a program like Grand Canyon, for example, that, that could be kind of a flag bearer in terms of their access to playing high RPI games that then in, in turn could turn into high RPI games for the teams they play in conference. So that's kind of a long-term thing that I'm looking for. Uh, but certainly the raw materials are there um, for him to continue pushing this program in that direction. You know, I, I think that that the consistency of the program got on my radar maybe a year, a year and a half ago now. It was actually via San Diego State who um, kind of was pumping up that they had maybe the most wins in the state of California over the last five years. And like sitting there at number three on the list was Sac State and then you know, I kind of dug a little further, and I mean, you don't have to dig that far in the Sacramento State website to, you know, find this this run of thirty win team or thirty win years, and the fact that this is a program that had been in Division One since nineteen ninety, uh, but didn't make its first appearance in regionals until twenty fourteen. The way that the program has built, you know, Reese Hoskins got off to a really great start to his big league career, and he's continued to be a good player for the Phillies, uh, you know, bringing further attention to, to the program and, and to the brand. And it, it's just been very interesting to watch this rise and then what Sac State was able to do last year in a pretty competitive whack when you look at what New Mexico State was doing, when you look at what Grand Canyon was doing. Um, UTRGV, of course, was, was much better last year. And if Cal Baptist wins the the regular season, can't play in the postseason as they reclassify from Division Two. But it was a good, solid league last year, as mid-major leagues go. And you know they went out, and and the way they were able to to win in the tournament was, uh, you know, that that's that's very eye-catching. But it, it's more than that uh, for this program. And then Reggie Christensen was kind of a hot name on the coaching carousel this summer you know i know he was in the mix for for some of those jobs out west ultimately he uh he stays at sac state and, and signs this extension and um i'm gonna be interested to see where that goes it's not a short extension it's through 2026 which for a program like sac state i don't know what their I, i'll be honest I, I don't know what their other coaches are working on contract wise uh but i bet he is the longest contract in the athletic department uh and, and so that you see the investment they're making he mentioned that they have lights that that's something that they've been able to get as a program in the last few years and um that they're giving them additional recruiting funds and uh you know now they make a commitment to him and so i, I think that's all very positive as as you look at the program's momentum and, and just the direction they're going and you know so i i think they're a program on the rise still a, a program worthy of our attention there are a lot of good college programs in the state of california sometimes it can be easy to be overshadowed in a state with you know ucla and stanford and usc and then the fullertons and the beaches and ucsb and to say nothing of a san diego state or something and and but you know you look at it sac state is is right there you know, having the kinds of consistent seasons that, that they are. And, um, you know, so I, I think it's all uh, all very impressive to see that. And, and then on the, the I want to mention the foreign tour, uh, the trip to Canada quickly. I, that's something I dug into a few year, years ago, just teams going on these foreign trips that the NCAA allows you to take once every four years. You see a lot of baseball teams 
go to the Dominican Republic, which is a, a very natural trip for obvious reasons. It's it's reasonably close, and there's a lot of baseball being played down there. And you can play some pro teams, you can play some amateur teams, whatever your level of preferred competition is, you can do it. But it's also not a, necessarily a cheap trip. So some of these programs don't necessarily have uh, the, the ability to take that kind of trip. So I, I really like the ingenuity to to go to Canada, which is something you see a lot of basketball programs do that are more on the the mid major scale, uh, where their counterparts oftentimes go to Europe. Uh, you know, their bigger school counterparts a lot of times go to Europe. The the uh, more mid major schools a lot of times go to Canada, and here we see a baseball team doing the same thing and, and still being able to play against some international competition in what sounds like a a, a pretty great setting. Again, we thank Reggie for for coming on. And Joe, now I wanted to talk about, I want to find the next Sacramento State uh, for for 2020, but not necessarily exactly Sacramento State, just the next kind of mid-major sweetheart for 2020. We we were a little bit lacking on those in this last year uh, in that none of them made super regionals. But if we're looking for a program from outside, not only the Power Five, but you know, expand that a little wider. I, I don't want to talk about schools from the Big West or the American. Uh, you know, from outside some of these these bigger uh, conferences in the baseball world, who do we think we should be looking at uh, that could maybe make a run to a regional final, or maybe even break through, or at least like Sacramento State did. Uh, kind of capture some attention during the postseason. Uh, you know, this is a team that knocked out a very good Santa Barbara team uh, in, in that Palo Alto regional. Um, who on the mid-major level should people be looking for to make noise in 2020? So I've got a couple to watch out for, neither of which are completely out of left field. Um, because look, if Teddy and I could predict which you know <laughs> low-major, mid-major teams would come straight out of left field, I think we'd have careers waiting for us out in, in Las Vegas. But I mean, I wish we could have found Indiana State at this time last year, but we didn't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so neither of these are out of left field, but I think they're both good fits. One of them is BYU. And, and let's face it, like th- BYU was almost this team last year. I mean, they were, uh, they got some bad schedule breaks in terms of teams that they played, you know, just missing the cut on being top 50 or top 100 teams. Their schedule ended up being a little bit light when it was all said and done. But that was probably a regional regional caliber team uh, that just kind of missed uh, because their schedule wasn't there. So um, I think they're a team to watch, though, um, for, for a couple of reasons. One, uh, it's not that there's not turnover on the roster because there absolutely is, particularly on the offensive side. But here's the thing. I have a lot of trust in them being able to find offensive production, particularly when you consider where they play in Provo. Um, you know, so at least in their home games, I feel like there's the opportunity for them to, to put up runs. Cause that's just a, a run, um, can be a run happy environment. Uh, but on the other side, their pitching returns a lot of the key pieces from last season. We talked about this during the season when BYU was, was, was on a run last season that, you know, in a situation that it would be tough to kind of develop pitching because of those offensive conditions, uh, BYU's really kind of figured it out a little bit. Their pitching was really solid last year, and a lot of those top guys are coming back this year. So, you know, I kind of like that. If there's going to be a question about one side of, of the ball, if you will, for the Cougars, um, I would prefer it to be the offensive side because I have confidence they're going to find some guys they can mash. They always seem to have guys who can mash year after year. So I've got confidence they figure that part out. 
Also, you may remember, Teddy and I talked about the recruiting class uh, a podcast or two ago. That certainly can only help. You get an instant influx of talent, much of which that you imagine will be able to carve out some roles uh, pretty quickly. Uh, so that certainly helps. And, and the thing about it is, too, is, is, you know, they've got a schedule that I think is a nice mix. You know, if you're going to be a mid-major darling, you have to play somebody, you know, because you don't want to be one of those teams that starts off 20, 21, 22, and 5, but then gets into conference play and, and kind of fades, and you end up being viewed as fraudulent. But on the other hand, you know, if you play too tough a schedule, you risk kind of getting buried. And you, you, even if you end up being a good team or a team that's in contention to get to a regional, you've kind of lost some of your luster. But I think they've got a good mix. They've got, you know, they've got a game with Oregon State early, and that's, you know, an Oregon State team that uh, is going to be doing a little bit of, of retooling. But that's an opportunity where they can turn some heads early on in the season. Um, that's the fir- the Monday of the first weekend um, for them to be able to make a statement. Uh, I think that's something that would turn some heads. And they've got also got a road series in early March that I'm looking at against Oklahoma State at their new park. And that's certainly a series where, and look, Oklahoma State's a team, a very veteran team last year, got to a super regional. That's a team, speaking of teams that are going to be retooling, Oklahoma State is, is one of them. Um, that's an opportunity where I think BYU's got a chance to go in there and win that series. Uh, what I predicted to happen, I don't know about all that, but they're certainly a team that, that could pull that off. And if they're coming out of that series having won it, and their record is, is kind of in a position where they start to make people stand up and take notice, I think that's the makings of a team that could kind of become one of these mid-major darlings. So uh, BYU is one. The other is Central Michigan. Um, really, really good team last year, 47-14 and 14 when it was all said and done, 22-5 uh, and five in the MAC. And if you're a MAC team that thought, okay, you know, this is a first-year head coach in Jordan Bischel, and it's a, it's a fairly common thing for a new head coach to come in and just kind of give some new energy to the program and, and to be able to get the most out of an existing group of players uh, that maybe just needed to hear a different voice. That happens fairly often. So, if, But if you're a MAC team that was kind of thinking, but you know what, like year two, year three, um, things will change a little bit as he has to retool. I have bad news for you uh, because they return just about everybody. Um, you know, offensively, if you're a draft Nick, you know the name Xavier Warren, um, but there are other guys here, Zach Gillis, Griffin Lockwood-Powell, who is probably, along with Warren, the, they were the two best power bats on the team. Uh, Zach Hickey is back. That's four of their top five hitters from a year ago. On the pitching side, they lose Pat Leatherman, who was their most durable starter. Uh, but they return almost literally everybody else in the pitching staff. Their three most effective relievers, uh, Cameron Brown, pitched nearly 100 innings for him, 320 ERA, and a number of guys who just kind of had bit roles on the pitching staff that you can imagine end up taking on more starring roles this year, uh, pitching-wise. So the MAC is what the MAC is. I don't know that you know, they're ever going to be in a position to kind of like we talked about with the whack. The reality of the situation is that they're probably not going to be an at-large team, probably won't even be close. That's just the scheduling aspect of it. But this is a team based on what we saw last year where they got into a regional and look, they did not look out of place in Starkville. Uh, They beat Miami. They compete well. Um, That was not a team scared by the moment. And this is a team with just about everybody coming back. Um, They're going to be a really dangerous two or three seed in a regional if they can get back in that position, because Look, if, if you're able to compete with that Mississippi State team in Starkville and be able to deal with that type of atmosphere, you can deal with just about anything in college baseball. And so this is a team, you know, if you're going to be a host team come 2020, this is not a team you want to see in your regional at all. Yeah, I think those are both very intriguing candidates. Um, Maction is going to be very interesting this spring. Uh, you know, I'll be honest, until Joe mentioned to me that Central 
was returning so much of last year's team. I I didn't realize that. Um, but you know, you look at what they can do. Um, you look at what what Kent State can be. I think that Kent is going to be bigger, better this year. They're a little older. Uh, we'll see how Ball State. You know, their pitching staff was so good last year. Drake Jamison is now uh, off into pro ball, but they're still going to be good. I, it's it's going to be a fun battle at the top of the conference again. But yeah, I mean, right now you got to look at it and say Central Michigan might be might be the favorite, and and the experience that they gained last year in regionals. You know, I, I'm a big believer that that you know plays when you get back to a regional if you can get back with that same group of guys. And so we'll see if the chips can uh, can do that this year. I like McNeese uh, State down uh, down from the Southland Conference, and of course they also were in a regional last year. They were they were there in Nashville. And, and I think that this is a very experienced team beyond the fact that they went to a regional. And again, I, if you can have that experience once, getting back there, I, I think it's just so big to, to understand the moment. And um, you know, last year they, they played against Vanderbilt, the eventual national champion. So they know what it all looks like now. They've been in, in that SEC park against a team that's going to go to Omaha and is incredibly good. Um, and so McNeese this year has 15 players on the roster that are in their fourth year of college baseball. So they're they're a very old group, and they're an experienced group. They've got their top three hitters back. They've got closer Will Dion back. Uh, so I really think that that McNeese can make some noise out of the Southland, and and that's a league that we've seen produce teams, uh, you know, that that do make some noise in regionals. Of course, Sam Houston. Uh, perhaps most notably winning that regional advance into supers a few years ago. But traditionally, the team that comes out of there, whether it's Southeastern Louisiana or Sam Houston or uh, any of these teams, they're usually a pretty good team because they play some really good baseball in the Southland. It's probably one of the most underrated conferences in the country. And then this might be a little bit of a cheat because Dallas Baptist has been in regionals for six straight years. But I do think this might be a big DBU year. Um, like maybe we're talking about DBU hosting a regional. Uh, they have another very talented roster uh, headlined by shortstop Jimmy Glowinky and left-hander Burl Caraway. And those two guys are absolutely guys. I mean, we're talking about All-America candidates. We're talking about high-end draft picks. And when you can build around those two guys, you've got a shortstop we're talking about and, and you know, uh, someone like Burl Caraway in, in the pitching staff, like I think those two are, uh, are are great foundational pieces, and they they did lose some some significant talent off of last year's team, but uh, you know I, I think that you know that, that's a staff that's very much used to reloading. They do a very good job at, at finding talent, and I thought that the recruiting class they brought in. Uh, this year is a is another strong one. Uh, you should be able to read more about that at baseballamerica.com within the within the week. So I, I think that DBU is poised well to to maybe get back to you know a stage where they're you know where we might be able to talk about them uh, as a host or, or as a super regional team. I, I do think this could be a another breakthrough season for the Patriots. Uh, Joe, those are two teams down from your previous neck of the woods. Uh, what, what do you think about my picks? Yeah, I think those are I think those are solid picks. I mean, um, you know, I have a lot of trust in what Justin Hill is doing at McNeese. He's kind of steadied that program and you know made them a contender more often than not in the Southland. And then you can never go wrong betting DBU for sure. And I think 
I think one thing to watch with them and to your point about them hosting is I think they're I think they're in a position to be able to to win the valley this year with with a with a gaudier record um than what they were able to put up last year. Uh because last year the valley was so competitive at the top where you had a good Illinois state team and you had a good uh Indiana state uh, Indiana state team right there with them. Um, you know, Indiana State's poised for a little bit of a step back. I still think with Mitch Hanna's at the helm, they'll still find a way to be competitive week to week. But, you know, that's a team that's going to be retooling. And Illinois State's got a lot returning as well. I think they'll be competitive at the top. But um, certainly I think they're a pretty similar team in terms of, of what they'll end up with record-wise to what they were last year. So, you know, I think Dallas Baptist has a chance, if it's a, kind of a classic Dallas Baptist team, to go out and put the kind of Missouri Valley Conference record up that they would need to put up in order to get in a position to host. So we will see if uh, if we hit on any of these picks. Hopefully we get at least a one of these kind of right. That'd be nice. There's some uh, mid-major teams to look at as we, uh, as we get going here, uh, starting to look towards the 2020 season, which is uh, unbelievably fast approaching. There was a pretty significant piece of news that came out in the college sports world on Monday. California governor signed a bill into law that allows student athletes to profit off of their name, image, and likeness. And essentially all of that means that they could be paid to sponsor products or get paid uh, if their jersey is sold, you know, if they get paid or if they, uh, if someone uses their, you know, their photo uh, on a billboard or something, they get compensated for that. Um, or also as a uh, CBS uh, college basketball writer Matt Norlander noted it also would enable them to get paid to give lessons in their sport, which currently you are not allowed to do. I don't want to spend too much time on like really delving into the law. One, this doesn't go into effect until 2023. The NCAA is coming out pretty hard against this. They have their own um, group studying the name, image, and likeness issue right now and i believe they have a report due out in a month number two while it would impact baseball jake mangum would definitely have had an endorsement deal last year uh if he could have it probably won't be as big of an impact as what the college football and basketball world is looking at you know having zion williamson uh his is definitely a bigger deal on your product uh, than having Adley Rutschman is. And un- as unfortunate as, as that is to, to us college baseball lovers out there, that that is just the reality. And uh, number three, and this is the most important one, neither Joe or I are experts on this situation. But I did see Stuart Mandel of The Athletic make the analogy today. A lot of people are talking about this more as universities paying kids to play and then they're like pro athletes. This isn't like making them pro athletes necessarily. As, as Stuart Mandel said, the better analogy is it would be like allowing players to be influencers like their peers are allowed to be influencers on Instagram where you know you get paid to, to represent a certain product uh, on campus or, or in, in your online feeds. Um, so Joe, the important question is what company would you be most likely to be an influencer for. All right, we're really getting to the important stuff. I'm excited about this. <laughs> uh, first off, uh, Teddy's right. Neither of us are experts on it. And, and look, if, if you want to see um, a bunch of people who aren't experts on it popping off about this, there's like a million Twitter eggs right now out there on Twitter with all kinds of opinions on it. So you can get it there if you're looking for 
people who aren't experts on it that, that have strong opinions <laughs> on it. That, that is out there if you would like to find that. So there's a couple answers here. Uh, one, they don't really necessarily do a lot of influencer marketing. But look, let me tell you, Whataburger, if you're into that kind of thing, like you know where to find me. <laughs> Um, I'm a huge fan, not just because it is delicious and I love it. And I miss that about my time living in Texas. That is all true. I also think I'm just, I'm pretty good at like selling Whataburger to people. I live up in the Midwest. We do not have Whataburger. Although they recently just got bought by a company in Chicago. Um, I have mixed feelings about that. That's another podcast, but I use the example of my girlfriend who had never had Whataburger. She's from the Midwest. Uh, we went on a trip to Texas in the summer. And she had Whataburger for the first time. And she's not a big burger person. Like, she'll eat burgers. It's not like a, an aversion to them. She's just not a huge burger person. Um, so she's like, I'm not really in the mood for a burger. I was like, oh, but it's so much more than burgers. <laughs> and it's kind of like, Teddy, I know you like Sonic. One of the things I like about Sonic is that it's a, it's a varied menu. No matter what you're looking for, they probably have it. Um, Whataburger is underrated for that. They've got burgers and chicken, but they've also got chicken strip sandwiches and chicken sandwich and specialty burgers and wraps and breakfast food. And they've really got a lot going for them. And, and my girlfriend, so she gets like this fajita wrap um, and she absolutely loved it. And she's been raving about it ever since then. And so if I can get my girlfriend on board with Whataburger and she hasn't even tried the burger and fries yet, I feel like I can sell it to just about anybody. So, so that's my first one. My second, my second one is I don't have a specific company in mind. I also don't want to close any doors for me to actually be an influencer for this. But one of the things that's really popular right now with tech startup, not this tech startups, pardon me, just startup companies in general getting into the mattress space. Um, that's like a big thing now where you order a mattress online, they ship it to you in a box, you have to take it out of the box, you let it expand for 24 hours or what have you. I know some people who have done this and then the products by all accounts are, are good. Um, but I, I bring this up because over the last six to eight months, I've become like a big believer in sleep. Um, obviously, I always knew sleep was important. I had, don't get me wrong. I had my days as a teenager where I slept for, as my mom would put it, all day. But, you know, I went through about, like, I guess it was about eight months ago or so. It was before the season. I just was not sleeping well. Like, I was restless. I was up at all hours of the night. I had one particularly horrible, like, literal sleepless night. I'd never had a literal sleepless night where I just laid there awake. The whole time. It was awful. So like I've changed a number of things to make that better. But one of the things I really did was put an emphasis on having a bedtime routine and trying to get to bed at the same time every night. And like during the season, that gets a little bit tough because you know, you're at games and the games end at different times. And you've got a writing schedule and all that. But when I can, I try to keep a schedule. And that has been such a game changer for me. I used to have a ton of days at work where I would, you know, first half of the day, I just feel like, man, I could fall asleep now. If, if I just, if I lay down for two seconds, I would be asleep. I don't really have those as much anymore, knock on wood. And I think a lot of it is just kind of, you know, setting that schedule and making sleep a priority. And, you know, one of the things I've learned is that just because you lay down eight hours before you get up doesn't mean you slept for eight hours. Like you're awake during the night, even when you don't know it. So uh, I've learned a lot about sleep and how important it is. Um, so uh, I'm saying all that to say I don't want to close doors by by calling out a certain any of the particular mattress companies, but I would gladly, if there's something out there that improves people's sleep, I'm an evangelist on that now. I would be happy to hawk their products and try them and talk about how great they are. That is uh, <laughs> that that you are certainly not closing any doors there, and you are right. That is uh, it's a popular I don't know niche right now. Solid choices. Uh, also, I think. When I was in Hoover this year, like Sonic was closed, but Whataburger was open, so I went there. Um, so you know, definitely can 
can get on board on the the Whataburger train. Yeah, I like number one. I think would would be any taco. Uh, I, I don't like you. I don't want to. I don't want to close any doors as long as you're a good taco place. But Torchies would be number one. I don't know that Torchies needs my help. Uh, I've talked about it on the podcast before. They are amazing and they should be national. That is my Torchies pitch. And then. You know, I, I I think that's that's the biggest one. I'm open to fruit snacks, any fruit snacks. I could go on a, a buffalo sauce situation, maybe with Frank's. I'm open open on, on those, but uh, I, I think my my focus would I would want to be a taco influencer, uh, and should, that is aspirational thinking in 2019. We should make this a weekly segment where we just kind of like cast a wide net every week. We're like, you know what I really like lately. <laughs> You know, I'm just, I'm really into ice cream right now. And Wait, is that not what you were doing this spring? <laughs> no, well, I mean, that was, uh, that would have been a happy accident. We'll put it that way. But uh, <laughs> I, I think we could really get somewhere with this. Just every week, we just kind of like throw something out there. And like the worst case scenario is like, we just don't hear anything from it. It's like entertaining content. But best case scenario, we kind of back our way into some, some products. There you go. So if you're if you're involved in fruit snacks, you know where to find me. Most likely eating fruit snacks at my desk. <laughs> so on that note, we are going to uh, wrap up this week's edition of the Baseball America College podcast. Uh, again, I want to thank Sacramento State coach Reggie Christensen for joining us. You can follow Joe and I on Twitter. I am at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy BA. And as the fall is, you know, like we said, getting ramped up, there's starting to be, you know, more more to talk about there. Joe's going to games. I'm writing stuff. If you follow us on Twitter, you'll you'll find all the latest content from, from the both of us. Uh, so if you haven't done so already, we would appreciate uh, you checking that out. You should also subscribe to the podcast. That's the best way to ensure that you're getting it uh, every week. We're, we're posting it weekly here during the off season. So um, we're, we're pretty much everywhere. Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, wherever you get your podcast, you, know, you should be able to find the Baseball America podcast. You can subscribe if you can, rate it, review it. It helps other people to find the podcast. And again, Head of the class, Baseball America's new college baseball book. Check it out at store.baseballamerica.com where you can pre-order. It is a look back through the last four decades of college baseball. And if you have made it through this college baseball podcast on October 1st, I assume you're a pretty big college baseball fan and that you will get something out of this book, uh, even if it is just a fun trip down memory lane. I, I do think that that college baseball fans will have fun uh, looking through head of the class when it comes out later this year. Again, you can pre-order that at store.baseballamerica.com. Joe and I will be back next week on the Baseball America College podcast. And until then, we want to thank you for listening. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. 
Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois.